Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 89. Today we'll be discussing our keepers from our COVID school year. We'll also be discussing some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment. We'll share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And now it's time for us to share highs or lows from our teaching week. We are in the final stretch of the school year. So Carrie, how's it going? High or low for you? Um, I'm going to do a mini low and then I'm going to go high after that. So I'm just going to say ugh. Um, ugh, testing weeks, you know, like state testing weeks. Man, not fun. Um, we had our, our state testing week, um, big testing this last week of school and um you know then we had to change the schedule so the kids who are testing um have their um art music PE classes in the afternoon and that just threw everybody off and some of my students who I normally see in the morning I got to see them like oh you know right after lunch and recess when they're all screaming at each other over something that just happened at lunch and recess or sixth grade the very last 50 minutes of the day when they're like totally mentally checked out and like literally lying on the floor. So um, that was difficult. I'm glad it's over. We only had to change our schedule for three days and our testing is, we have a lot of makeups to do, but um, our testing is pretty much done. So yay. That was just three days we had to get through. Um, but the high, I guess it's kind of related is I was really glad that this ended up being my first week of ukulele with my fourth, fifth and sixth grade students because um, that was actually a great thing for them to be doing when they were fried from testing and just kind of wanted to be really chill, especially my sixth graders. My sixth graders took to it really well because I think it was like we can just kind of sit and be calm and do these like YouTube play along videos and it's it didn't require a lot of like physicality from them like getting up and dancing and moving like and that might sound counterintuitive because some kids might have needed that but this particular group of sixth graders really just wanted to be chill so anyways i did my first week of ukulele because i got 25 ukuleles from donors choose this year and i've been waiting and waiting and waiting because they've been back on back order all year and they're finally here so Yay. it's been really fun and um yeah, I mean, some kids are really taking to it. Some kids are finding it challenging as to be expected of any new thing. But um, it's just been a really great way to kind of wrap up the year with my older students after a, you know, challenging year of figuring out what to do when we can't sing, what to do when we can't play games. This has been a really great end of the year. And the lesson plans kind of write themselves, which is nice. And so it's been easy on me too, other than having to tune the dang things every day. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been really good. So I'm excited to kind of have this this little unit of ukulele to finish out my year with my older kids. Nice. Yes. How about you, Tanya? Oh, well, you know how uh, each week is. I could go high, I could go low, but I think I'm going to specifically talk. Um, and, and we're about to enter our testing days. Um, we're recording this on Saturday. On Monday, I'll have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday testing. So I've got some things planned that are kind of out of the ordinary yeah. to hopefully, you know, 
give kids a break and, and let them feel relaxed, but get some energy out. So we'll see how that goes. But um, I tuned in to our contract negotiations between our um, teacher union and our districts because they um, broadcast them live over Facebook and we're encouraged to watch and, um, you know, see how that is all plays out. And it's a really interesting process. And the people that are working for the district and for the teachers union, they are all really well-versed. They do their, for the most part, they do their homework. This is all good. However, um, yeah, the frustration comes from um, one of the meetings that I watched over Facebook this past week was specifically dealing with AMP, Art Music PE, issues. Um, and in our district, I'm really very satisfied that we are referred to as AMP, not specials. Um, I, I kind of cringe when I hear that word specials because to me, it seems like um, this is an important, it's it's special, but it's not your not essential. Um, yeah, it's not essential. And music, like art and PE, they are state man. There's a state mandated curriculum that comes down from the state of Colorado, which is also connected to, you know, the United States. Um, so it's not like this. These are like the cherry on top. Really, our curriculum we have a we have curriculum that's supposed to be, especially in elementary school and all the way up. You know, we this is not like opt in or opt out. Like this right. is part of your school day when you're an elementary school student. Anyway, so yes, the AMP team was well represented. We have some really well, um, really excellent people on our team who are talking about things. But anyway, the same things keep coming up. And I think I could pick any one of these things floating through my head that, that came up. But one of my concerns, because I had direct... Uh, experiences with this, um, especially a couple years ago, uh, is about class sizes. So they decided to put in the contract language that a um, homeroom section equals a section for AMP, right? Yeah. So if there's, say, 24 kids in a class, then they should come to music as 24 kids, right? right? Um, because we've had issues in the past where they needed to guarantee that all of the classroom teachers had the same planning time and so they've taken say uh, four classes and squished them into three right. to go to art music and PE right. which results in art music or PE having oh I don't know 33 34 kids in a room yep. now here the, I don't know this is extremely frustrating because it doesn't go well. Like, and, and all these other variables go into play too. What, what's the time of day and um, what's the makeup of those kids? A lot of time, these kids that are in their homeroom have been separated from other students because they've shown in the past that, he, oh, here's a bad combination between this student and this student. They should not be in the same class. And yet they'll come to us in the same class, right? Right. They'll say, we can't give a classroom teacher more than say 26 students in fourth grade and yet they'll hand us 32 right right the inequity the disrespect the lack of seeing music art and pe as quote real classes where real learning is going on is just so continuously frustrating in my career 
And it breaks my heart. And I just don't know how to better advocate besides be a great example of what music education should be. I mean, that's the best I can do. I think I do need to be more visible. I think I need to go that extra have that extra effort towards communicating what's going on in the music room. I I know I can do better at that, but I'm just so frustrated because the time and energy that I spend putting together really thoughtful lessons um, that I know reach kids and that I know kids they're learning from and that, that they're not just enjoying, but is enriching their lives. I just feel like that just falls by the wayside when we're talking numbers and money and budget. Yep. And I'm sure people listening understand what I'm saying. So that was my big low is that, oh my goodness, I really wish when we said, what is best for students? I wish we meant it. Yes, agreed. And that's all I'm gonna say. So now it's time for our main theme, and we are going to be talking about keepers from our COVID school year. So focusing on the positive. The positive. <laughs> I mean, we know how much this year has been a challenge. We don't need to tell you because you're living it. But um, there have been some interesting things that have come up that, you know, have made both of us go, hmm, that's something that we could continue doing during you know, we're not going to say the whole back to normal thing or our new normal, because we also know how annoying that whole phrase is. But next year, whatever next year looks like, what are some things that we're going to keep regardless of what our school year looks like? You know what I'm saying? Things that that we didn't have to have COVID happen for these things to happen, but they pushed us towards this. Yeah. And so now there's some good to be continued. All right. Let's talk first about everyone's favorite topic, cleanliness. (laughs) So, I mean, I'll be the first to say it, and I think most people would agree. I I didn't clean, like, stuff as much as I maybe should have. I mean, I definitely didn't get out the Clorox wipes with my five minutes in between classes and scrub down keyboards. I'll tell you that. Well, sure. And so, yes, of course, you have to balance what your passing periods look like and all that. But I mean, first things first, I, the, 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 um, process of having a bottle of sanitizer at the door that kids always get a squirt of sanitizer on their way in the door. I'm keeping that as long as my, you know, school secretary will provide me with sanitizer and I don't have to buy it out of my own pocket. I just think with as much as, you know, students are touching instruments and maybe possibly doing dancing or singing games where they might possibly touch each other's hands. That'll be a topic for another day. But even just regardless, just having clean hands. What's wrong with that, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. no, clean hands is good. And whenever I see a student pick their nose beneath their mask, they got to go and wash their hands. Well, and that's something that I always did, because let's be honest, they do, the, the younger ones and maybe some older ones. Anytime I saw a kid touch his face, wipe his nose or her, you know, anything, it's like, you need to go wash your hands immediately. I have a question if this is a thing for others. I'm sure it is. Um, I remember uh, kids who would you know, dig in their nose, but keep their hand up to shield as if, if 
as if, hey, I'm shielding you your view of my it. nose so you don't know I'm picking my nose. But now they've got the mask on. So I guess they think I can't see their whole hand and arm, you know, rise up to to dig. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I just think it's it's kid logic is is interesting. And um, yeah, I'm all I'm all in for sanitizing on the way in and um washing hands, sanitizing hands, wiping instruments, right? if at all possible. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Now, something I, I will say I haven't decided on, I'm still on the fences. I, I did go through the process of making the individual kits for my kids this year for manipulatives. Um, so K through two, they had like a four beat chart with their own dry erase marker, with their own little set of popsicle sticks. Um, and then older kids, I gave them a five line staff and I gave them a little baggie of those, you know, bingo chip note heads and a marker and an eraser. And I did give them all um, a, a pair of um, dowel rod rhythm sticks, although I don't think that was quite as necessary as as the manipulative part. Anyways, all that to say, the kids actually really liked it when we got them out. I think they just really liked the fact that they had something that was like their own little thing. Um, and they would get excited when we would get them out. Just yesterday, I got them out with my students to do some staff dictation um, with Lola. And they just get all jazzed. And they know, because I've told them at the end of the year on the last day of music, I'm going to send these home with you. And these are going to be yours to keep because there's there that was the whole point is I'm not going to collect them so if if I have money in my budget I might go ahead and do it again next year because that's one of the benefits of, of working at a title one school is we do I have a sizable budget so I was able to purchase all the materials I had paraprofessionals help me assemble the kits at the beginning of the year I also work at a very small school so I didn't have to make a gazillion I only had to make like 250 of these at my one school so that's something I'm thinking I might keep but you know, ask me again in August, I might change my mind and say, forget it. I'm not doing this again. Well, good. For, I mean, that's, I understand where you're coming from. And um, I didn't do this this year and I have no regrets. Um, <laughs> I no, did a lot that's of- fine, to each their own. I, not yeah, saying. I did a lot of manipulatives through the computer. Like, you know, I built things in Seesaw or on Google that they could drag around. Um, I just completely converted to tech for the most part. Um, when I did use manipulatives, it would be, okay, only this class is using these popsicle sticks today. And then we're putting them, we're, you know, spraying down bags and having them go away until this class comes back, that kind of thing. Um, and I do not see myself, the investment in time and money is just, I'm not, I know I'm not going to do it. I didn't do it in a COVID year. I'm not going to do it next year. No. I'm I'm fine with that. And I understand why people do want to do that too. Yeah. 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 To each their own. <laughs> so let's move on though to um, full philosophical things. Bigger things. That, yeah. Bigger things that came out of this year that we would like to move forward with. And again, all of these things could have, should have happened in a non-COVID year, it, it just so happened to happen, happen in a COVID year. All right. So social emotional learning, not a new thing, not a particularly COVID inspired thing. However, um, it's, you know, uh, in this unique year with the circumstances of, of kids having less time with other humans, just in general, 
yeah. there was a need for it. And, and both of us did like a deeper dive into social emotional learning, which we've been meaning to do anyhow. And definitely this is something that should be happening in not just music, but in all classes. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think just... that my takeaway is that I'm not going to feel as I'm not going to feel, I feel guilty a lot about it, but it doesn't, I can't win with myself. Like if I spend a lot of time on music literacy, then I'm like, oh no, we're not listening enough and talking about music of other cultures. And if I spend a lot of time on that, I'm like, oh no, we got to like active music making. We got to be musical. And if I'd spend a lot of time, like, like oh, what about social emotional? Like these parts of my, you know, concerns pop up whenever one I'm giving a lot of attention to the others in my head were like, well, what about, you know, so that's yeah. an ongoing thing that I'm never going to rectify, but that's fine. Um, well, for me, social emotional. Sorry, the balance for me was finding those SEL activities through music. You know, exactly. not to say there's any there's nothing wrong with just taking a mindful minute and doing meditation or doing those things. But what I also really looked for were opportunities to talk about SEL things and mindfulness through music. How does music help us um, manage our emotions? How does music help us communicate with others? How does music help us um, communicate ourselves and and be proud of who we are? So those were the things. Things I did a lot in the beginning of the year to really kind of build that community, but then brought it back and touched on it almost every single day um, throughout the rest of the year. So um, to me, that was that was the part that made it feel made myself not feel guilty is because yeah, it was a big part of, of our musical, you know, and we have we always have this standard about in Colorado, it's the uh, aesthetic valuation of music. And it's really all about understanding how music is, is a part of social constructs and all that. And I will say I, I didn't really feel like I taught that explicitly. I always told myself, Oh, well, we're doing that through all these other activities. But I, right. I think that I skipped a lot of important moments in the past that this year I, I I know I did. I think yeah. that I often operated on the assumption that, well, if they're really engaged in the music, that's just going to be a byproduct. Yep, exactly. And yeah. you, it's it's better to call attention to the, to these yeah. things through the music. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, so another thing, you know, Tanya and I both have talked about being Kodai-inspired music educators is this idea of, you know, in our training and, and in the trainings that we teach, we talk about how in a traditional Kodai-inspired lesson, you're going to be focusing on likely one rhythmic concept and one melodic concept, and you're preparing on one while practicing another, and you have that spiral sequence, and it's all very lovely. But what Tanya and I both really came to the realization this year and many of you have as well, is that really we're probably just going to focus on one. And some of that had to do with the way that our rotations worked. Um, we were both seeing our kids in a two-week rotation, and so it just made more sense to compartmentalize things a little bit more. But I've, I've seen the benefit with my students of if I'm really only focusing on first grade on so and me, and yeah, there might be some moments where we're also practicing rhythm in a very kind of, you know, loosey-goosey tying it in way. But my whole lesson is really just focusing on so me patterns within the context of lots of other music making experiences, but calling that so me into attention and really not doing a lot with other things. Um, I've seen the results of students maybe grasping that concept a little better. So I, I keep going back and forth and it will honestly really be driven by how often we see the kids kids and what types of music making experiences we're allowed to have with the kids next year. But as far as the reckoning of my, my Kodai inspired teaching goes, I'm really thinking a lot about that. 
How about you? Uh, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I concur <laughs> completely. Um, yeah, I keep having this conversation in my head over and over again because um, I have noticed that kids are grasping a specific rhythmic concept or a specific melodic concept a lot better when I'm just sticking with that during those two weeks. And then as we were talking about the social emotional learning, when I'm bringing in all these other things, if I have a musician of the day, if I have some social emotional learning things, we've got to be realistic. And how much can we get in? You know, I, a typical Kodai lesson is very, it's chock full of stuff. Yeah. And I really appreciate beautiful pedagogy and a lesson that flows with awesome transitions. Um, and, and I know a lot of those in books and on paper and I've seen, okay. And then we have to talk about the kids that you're in the room with because that changes everything. Yep. And the thing that I'm concerned about in our Kodai inspired world is that um, when we talk about pedagogy and when we study pedagogy and when we focus on pedagogy, a lot of times we take out the most important part of the equation, which is the kids that are in the room. Because mm -hmm. if it's not working for them, you've got to change it. And I know a lot of, um, I'm, I'm looking at all of my pedagogy books with some brilliant lessons, beautiful pedagogy that's not going to fly with my second graders this year that are in the room for one yep. reason or another. So yep. we have to be a realistic. And this is why I get, and you and I have this conversation all the time. This is why I get a, a little bit weary of um, being really, um, what's the word, uh, loyal to any pedagogue or any teacher who hasn't been in the classroom yep. for a number of years. And, and I have friends who are collegiate music educator, people who I respect to the utmost, but we're in the you trenches. Your own kids. You know, you, you got to know who is in the trenches with you because it's about the kids in the room. Yeah. And if something big is happening in your community or your world that is distressing people, or it depends on the kids in the room, like a beautiful lesson on paper is not necessarily going to fly because of what's happening with the real people in the room. Right. And so, yeah, I'm all about, let's do what's right for these kids right now that, you know, and if we don't get Somila this year, oh, well, no big right. deal because it's much more important that we're nurturing through music and that these kids are seeing the music room and just music in general as a place that they can feel comfortable and loved in. Yeah. 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 And that actually brings us to our next point, which is really just slowing down a lot too. And um, slowing down in two ways. It could be that you don't quite get through all of your quote unquote first grade concepts. And so you know that in the following year, you're going to teach law in second grade instead of you would normally do in first grade. And that's the benefit of being our own um 
you know, vertical team, right? Is that we, mm -hmm. we can tell ourselves, oh, I didn't get to this this year, I'll get to it next year. And that's okay. Now, of course, we are still under the confinements of whatever our district or state, you know, expectations are as far as, you know, the standards that we have to get done. But we also have to make those decisions as educators and say, this is more important, I believe, for my students than this because of blah, blah, blah. You know, we have to prioritize things. But for me, it was also slowing down and not doing quite as much song literature um, because, you know, we weren't able to sing as much because we weren't able to do singing games. So that automatically eliminated things. But again, I found that if I had less song literature, but then gave them more opportunities for improvisation or composition or, or working with, and this is really talking about those notational elements, those literacy elements that we talk about in our Kodai world. But you know, it's not just about throwing song after song after song after song. It's about really making sure they understand and they get to interact with that material in really organic ways. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. So slowing down and making sure that um, the material that you are using, they're, they're going deeper with. That's exactly. All. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and along with that, we're both embracing more inclusion of music listening, music appreciation. And I, know, I don't know about you, Carrie, but especially with third through fifth grade, I mean, with all grades, but with third through fifth, I'm having a lot more conversations about music and about musicians and where they're coming from and things that have shaped those musicians' music. Yeah. Right. Um, and this is a whole like this is a cultural lens into just the world at large. And it, it's really interesting. The things that the, the third, fourth and fifth graders focus on, they are very, um, they always want to know if the person's still alive. Right. And then they want to know how old they are. Yes. Those are the two questions I always get every mm -hmm. time. And then I always try to refocus on, okay, yeah. And yeah. Um, here's something that this musician did that was really important and inspired people and whatever. Um, but it's just, it's fascinating to get into some of those cultural discussions with kids. And I tell you, I, like I said, I still have that like knee jerk part of my brain. That's like, um, get back to music, get back to the music. Right. But it's part of the music, right? And we, we've got to remember that we are not in a vacuum and, and we need to acknowledge musics that are going on all over the place, present and past, yeah. and not just um, central to the United States. Right. Well, and yeah. again, teaching our students to be, you know, open-minded listeners, to teach our students how to listen and things to listen for, not just the focusing on the visual aspect of, of something, you know, whether it's a TikTok video or a YouTube video, like actually listening to the music, not just the visual performer. Um, teaching kids that, I mean, that that's totally, I mean, that again, that goes back to in Colorado, that standard four aesthetic valuation, which is yeah. again, not something I did as well as I have this year. This year I have taught that particular standard <laughs> way more. And me too. Yeah. 
as and much I, as I dislike how that standard is written, by the way, I think well, that is the worst is, language is, ever, but whatever. Oh There's... yeah, we, we had to come to terms with that. But you know, the reality is our kids are music consumers. They have been since they were little and they will continue to be. We're music consumers, you and I, Tanya, we listen to all, oh, sure. you know, so my goal is to, to make sure my kids are open to listening to music that's different and new to them, but also being a, an informed listener, what to listen for. Um, yes in the music it's huge so yeah yeah it's a big big thing yeah and then I also just want to give a shout out to um to more project-based learning this is something I've done I will say especially for my sixth graders because I do have sixth graders still in my school but um I've been doing more PBL project-based learning stuff with them um you know things like um I did a whole video game music project I talked about it in the last podcast um where they had to create like a storyline to a video game and then create a soundtrack soundtrack basically to go with it um this week my online only sixth graders are doing a project about careers in music where they had to research a few different careers then choose one and then they created a help wanted poster for that particular career so you know there's and um I got that that project by the way i'll put the link to it from um uh, oh no is it michelle rose is that right rose yes 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 Yes. (laughs) i want to make sure i got that right um she has a great tpt product about music and careers and i basically used hers you know and modified it a little bit for my needs but anyways the point being i like these long-term projects especially for my sixth graders where they can work a little bit more at their own pace and and within their own interests and that's something i definitely want to keep doing a lot more next year Right. Totally. Yeah. I have really enjoyed using the tech. I love that kids have their own devices and that our district has um, invested in Soundtrap for everybody. Yep. Um, that's been great. Uh, I still have some asynchronous students, so it's just been a necessity to learn some of these programs and um, Nearpod is awesome. And I need to use Nearpod more in the classroom like as part of um, centers or stations, that would be yeah. great to have that. And I just haven't built enough Nearpod lessons to do that. It um, is time consuming, but something um, definitely I, I will do, especially for sub plans, I definitely plan on using Nearpod a lot more in the future now that I know how to do it. And it gets quicker the more I do it. Yeah, my, my inclination is to pack it too full. So I got to like ease back on that. But yeah. uh, oh, what a great tool. Yeah. And, you know, Seesaw, I mean, I I will say I've been on the Seesaw bandwagon for a long time, but I've even learned some new, you know, tips and tricks with Seesaw. And it's just, it's so lovely to have students who now know it in in a better way. So I don't have to remind them how to click add response like now they know how to click add response you know and same with google classroom for the students who are using google classroom they know where to find their work they know how to access google docs now they know when to turn something in and when you know to mark is done and all those kind of things um jamboard has actually been one of my new favorites this year too using jamboard um because it allows students to draw or they can do drag and drop things and you can assign a jamboard just like a Google Doc or a Google Slides through Google Classroom, where each kid gets their own Jamboard and can do the work on it. So that's actually Which is how what I... I need to do. Yeah, I need yeah. to do that instead of <laughs> I keep thinking I'm I, I will never learn. I keep thinking that I can have a whole class go to a Jamboard and do things. And inevitably, there's two or three who just start scribbling and 
then I'm ripping my hair out and like, I'm closing yeah. it down. Everybody yeah. look out. It's going to go away. I've done a few things where students ah. collaborate on a jam board. Um, but no, typically for my purposes, they have their own. Um, and so like this, this music careers project they're doing where they're creating a poster, they're doing that on Jamboard. So yeah. um, it's a little bit more grown up version of Seesaw other than the fact they can't record themselves, but they can add sticky notes, they can draw. Anyways, Jamboard's just been great. And the students really like Jamboard too, which has been great. Yeah, totally. And then also you wanted to mention um, ukulele, ukuleles, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Um, because both of us finally, um, I feel like I waited a long time before I dipped my toe into the ukulele waters, but that's been a wonderful addition to our music curriculum. There's just so many things that we can do with ukulele. I could have gone much longer in my oh, yeah. ukulele unit that I, than I did. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I want to be more intentional next year about having kids learn about chord structure and harmonic structure. And then I definitely want to use the ukuleles as like a vehicle into songwriting next year and do a lot more songwriting yeah. with my older kids. Um, I just knew I wasn't going to have time because I got them so late in the year this year. Um, but yeah, the kids absolutely love them. And I just think for learning about harmonic structures and chords, you can't beat it, right? It's just great. Totally. Yes. And then finally, we wanted to talk a little bit about some wishes for the coming school year, things that have arisen during this COVID school year that will probably not happen, but that we like and we wish we could keep. Yeah. We wish we could keep. All right. So I'll start with in our district. And I think this is pretty much, well, I, I can't speak for all the schools in our district, but I know many people have been given 10 minutes in between their classes in order to clean, disinfect, and set the room. And oh my goodness, I'm trying to like really enjoy that right now because I I love having the 10 minutes in between classes. Yeah. I'm cleaning, I'm setting up. It has changed what I've planned because I don't feel pressure to plan similar things between one grade to another grade because of how the room is set up. Totally. Like I have the freedom of like, oh, well, I can, I have enough time that I could put away the drums and then get out these small percussion instruments. Like, I love that. Yes. It just freed me up so much this year and I'm not going to have, I know, I know it's going to go away and I'm so sad, but I know. I'm going to enjoy it right now and take advantage as much as I can. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one other thing to think about next year is devices. Now I will say at, at my home school, again, benefit of being a title one school, we've been a one-on-one -on -one device school since I've been there. Um, when I started, all students had iPads, which got um, a little silly for the older kids because they realized that to prepare them for things like state testing, they really needed a device with a keyboard. So I think my third year, the third through fifth graders, sixth graders switched to Chromebooks. But either way, my students have had one-on-one -on -one devices. Now, you would think that that would have made the transition last spring to online learning much easier, but no, because the truth is, and we know this, that you know, teachers weren't using tech to its full potential. Um, and so the students were still a little clueless when it came to using the tech to the point that they're using them now. But um, so I know at my home school, they'll continue to have devices. At my second school, I honestly don't know, because this is only my first year there, if that will continue or not. And you're having the same thoughts, right, Tanya? Well, I've, had, I've heard murmurs that um, 
that's not gonna that kids won't have their own devices that they um I don't know for sure, but that they, it might be a cart situation again, where like a grade level has a, a cart of say 30 Chromebooks that they share. Yeah. I mean, I guess the reality, I mean, I, I could, and I've done this in the past, I could just say, Hey, fifth grade's coming. Can I use the fifth grade cart? But that then you've got the problems of things not being charged because it's been in heavier use. And I don't know. Um, I was seriously, I, who knows? It's a lot of money. I was thinking um, maybe it's time for me and the art teacher to really do a donor's choose or something where we get a class set of iPads Yeah, that we use between the two of us. Because we've had not an entire class set, but we've had a set of iPads that we've used between the two of us that my husband, the art teacher, he um, did a fundraiser and that's what he used the money towards. And that, that was great, but now they're out of date. They're out of sync and our district will not upgrade, will not, you know, let us do the latest system, which so basically you can't do anything on them at this point. So it's time. If we need devices, if kids are not coming with them, then yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, totally. Yep. And then let's just talk about performance for a minute because yes, let's, you know, I'm always torn on the idea of performance. I I love that performances and programs are an opportunity for students to show their learning and for advocacy for my program, but gosh, it can be so much work. And um, to, to just say this year, well, that's not one thing I have to think about or having to do an after-school choir again, as much as I love it, it's just that much more on our plate. Um, so I feel like this is an opportunity maybe for us to advocate for, you know, yes, there will still be performances, but maybe pared down or, you know, instead of every grade performing every year, maybe every other grade or more of a focus on informances than, you know, full-blown performances, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I concur. And and when you're at two schools, it's just that much more challenging well, to, right. to really make sure it happens at both schools. And it's extra work that, frankly, I mean, we're not paid for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no salary schedule for elementary no. teachers to yeah. do those things. Yeah. But I think, you know, not having performances for a year in one way, you know, I've heard parents in the community say, oh, we miss those types of experiences. But I've also heard, you know, well, we used to do too much and my kids were being run ragged. So I think this is a great opportunity for us to have that, you know, conversation with our administrators and our parent community and say, hey, yes, performance is important, but not to the sake of running the kids ragged or us ragged. What's it really exactly. about and what's the value of it? Totally. And now it's time for our No Better Do Better segment, where we talk about something that we have learned, we're trying to implement in our class. And Carrie, you've got something for us. Sure. So I want to talk about doing song research. So, you know, something that's coming up time and time again, that's filed this under, we should have been doing this much better for years, is this idea of doing better research on our own song literature. So we know the background of the music that we're teaching. We know that first of all, it doesn't have anything harmful in its history, but just second of all, that we're more knowledgeable about where it comes from, specifically the people, the culture, the languages, the context, 
all of those things, right? Um, this is something I've been very passionate about for myself and my own song collection. I've been teaching in our Colorado Kodai Institute classes. And then we have a little subcommittee in our district right now of people who are focusing on this research. And we're, we're putting together like a professional development for our music teachers in our districts about this whole idea of how to do good research. And I'm going to say, I'm not an expert. This is not something I've been doing for years and years and years. But within the last year, especially, um, it's really become important to know the difference between, you know, good quality, reputable sources, especially online sources, and maybe sources that are a little bit more surfacey. So I want to give a shout out to a wonderful blog called Pan Coco Jams. Um, this is one of, I think, four blogs that is run by um, Azizi Powell. And it's, it's focused on African-American music and uh, people of Black descent throughout the world. So there's, there's music that's specifically from all different places in Africa, Caribbean, and then African-American music. And the reason why this particular blog to me is of quality is the amount of research that goes into the work that Azizi Powell puts out there. So um, this blog compared to um, Mama Lisa, for example, Mama Lisa is a very popular blog about kind of music from around the world. Now, I will say that I've gone to Mama Lisa and there's that that can be a place to start. I'm not going to say never, ever in ever million years go to Mama Lisa. That's not what I'm trying to say. Mama Lisa, though, is just a little more surfacy and there's not as much research that goes into the work. Sometimes yeah, and, there's and some... therefore there's some errors in there. Exactly. Yeah. And there are just some straight up errors. So, um, an example I want to say is you mentioned last week the song Funga Alafia. So mm -hmm. just out of curiosity, I typed Funga Alafia into Mama Lisa, and I got this little one-page thing, and it talked about how it was kind of a, a folk song from Africa, but then it did mention the whole idea that it's not really a folk song from Africa. It really has American roots, and it was written more in the style of West African music, but it's not an authentic song, but very small blurb about it, right? Well, on the other hand, I typed in Funga Alafia into Pancoco Jams, and she's got um, two different blogs about this with all these different versions of the song and thorough research of where it comes from, what the words mean, and different performances, and just a whole, I mean, array of information about this song. So just the idea of make sure that we are doing research in places where the people who are blogging have their sources posted. That's really important. If you look at a blog and the blogger hasn't listed their sources, then you know that you can't go any deeper than that. You can't go any farther than that. The whole idea of research is that it really should be this down the rabbit hole situation where you can go to Pancoco Jams and you can see something there, but then I can go somewhere else and I can go somewhere else because she has all these links and she has all these sources posted in there. So anyways, I just wanted to throw that idea out there of, you know, a good source, especially online, you know, blogs are a great place to get ideas and information, but there's a difference between a really great academic blog that lists their sources and a blog that's just a little more surfacy and cutesy. So now it's time for us to work smarter and not harder, right, Tanya? And you've got a... Oh, we... 
Yeah, always working on that. All right. What's your uh, tip for us today? All right. This is a very simple thing. I'm sure a lot of people out there use emojis for labeling things. And I've gotten to uh, get, I've gotten into the habit of using emojis a lot more, especially in assignments and emails to staff. I just find with not just younger kids, but with anybody, if I put like a little, the little music note emoji in my email to staff that says, Hey, remember for kids to bring Chromebooks today. Like I think it makes it stand out and people right away see that and go, oh, it's from the music teacher. Also in like Google Classroom, since I share my Google Classroom with the art and the PE teacher this year, um, it's been really helpful to put little emojis in my topics and on my assignments. So when kids are in the Google Classroom, I'll, be, I'll say, oh, you know what? You got to go to Music April. There's a little umbrella and little music notes. And now we're going to Soundtrap and you see a little speaker, right? Yeah. So that's been really good for that. And now I have to shout out to Joyful Music Teaching on Instagram because she mentioned this little uh, keyboard shortcut that, oh my, has already changed my life. I know it sounds silly, but... Yeah, if you are on a Mac, control, command, spacebar at the same time will just bring up your emoji menu. And then you select from there because I'm just constantly going up to the top of my computer on my Mac, hitting um, file, no, edit, sorry, at the very bottom of that drop down menu, um, it, emojis and symbols. Oh, Hey, check it out. Look, there's the shortcut in the menu. Duh. Why did I never do that? Okay. Well now I'm sure everybody knows this. Take that for what it's worth. Even though that shortcut was in my face the whole time, I've never used it, but now I am. So there you go. I don't Emojis for the win. Yeah. When I drop down on edit at the top of my Mac, drop down folder, very last thing, emojis and symbols, but oh. then right next to it, it says, you I know, see little top carrot which means control plus the propeller command and space duh oh, that's great. all right yeah no, still so. worth sharing so i didn't know about it you didn't know about it so therefore now nobody know. knew about it right nobody <laughs> yep <laughs> And finally, here is our CODA section. We talk about things we're enjoying in or out of the music room, probably out because it's that time of year. Well, no, I'm going to talk about in because I'm boring. Okay, cool. No, be <laughs> like that. We love it. <laughs> well, what are you enjoying in the music room? Carrie? Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about ukuleles again as if I haven't talked about enough this, this uh, podcast episode. But I just want to give a shout out to um, Little Kids Rock. Now, I haven't taken Little Kids Rock training. You have, Tanya. I want Yeah, to. like a week before lockdown. You squeaked in there at the last minute. I would really like to take a Little Kids Rock training. Not that it's going to, you know, completely change my whole you know, curriculum world. But I think um, there's a lot of value in the stuff that they're doing, obviously. And you know what, they have a wonderful video library that's all free, that's accessible to anybody. I the used whole their... website is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I used their videos for piano. They have some great chord play along videos for piano for keyboards earlier in the year. And now for ukulele, I've been using some of their videos. I, I definitely use a combination of their stuff, ukuleleans, um, other, you know, YouTube things, but very specifically their 
all about the ukulele like introduction video with Paula Fuga, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. I'll double go back and double check that I said that correctly. Um, she does this great little intro video. It's like three minutes long about the parts of the ukulele, but then she also talks about the history of the ukulele, which I learned some new things. I'm not going to spoil it because I'm going to put the link in there and make <laughs> you all go listen to it. But anyways, it was just a great little intro video. And then you know, once you go there, there's a whole library of ukulele videos after that that you can continue on to. But um, just want to say thanks, Little Kids Rock, because those videos have been great to use, especially this year, but I plan on using them a lot in the future. Nice. Yes. How about you, Tanya? What have you been enjoying? Well, I'm going to talk about a book. It's been a while since I've talked about a book, and um, I love Audible and listening to books. And I recently finished a memoir type book. It's a collection of essays called We're Going to Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union. And um, she is an African-American actress. Uh, she was in, it's funny because when I mentioned her to you, you were like, oh yeah, she was in Bring It On. Bring it on. And she was in 10 Things I Hate um, About You. And I've never seen either one of those movies. Well, um, yeah, these were These were some of my, you know, teenage staples formative <laughs> molding years yeah um but I mostly remember her from friends that's true she was and she was Ross's girlfriend towards the end of friends and Joey's girlfriend oh that's right Joey's girlfriend first and then Ross's yes. girlfriend oh the drama Have you watched friends lately it's problematic it doesn't there are so there's many things yeah. but anyway very so many things but it's mostly that I keep like hearing her on podcasts or catching her on interviews for on late night shows that I'm like, she's hilarious. Like oh, she's yeah. really funny. Um, which is why like I, I picked the book cause I have not seen most of her stuff, but every time I hear her in an interview, I'm like, I want to be her buddy. And so <laughs> I was like, that's an awesome title. We're going to need more wine. And uh, it's just a collection of essays. Uh, it's not kid friendly. She talks about some, some things that you probably don't want you. I don't even want my children overhearing. And I'm saying this because my children, children being a little bit older, we, you know, the, the floodgates have opened for sure. a lot of things, but um, some sensitive topics, right. Right. That she talks about, but it was just a really enjoyable listen because of course she narrates her own book and um, a really good time. There you go. Nice. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. Show notes can be found at musicteacherCoffeeTalkPodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. We are still deciding what our topic will be for next time, but in the meantime, we are excited to announce that we have selected our book for our 2021 Summer Book Club. This summer, we will be reading Culturally Responsive Teaching in Music Education from Understanding to Application by Constance McCoy and Vicki R. Lind. We will post the link to the book in our show notes, so if you're interested in reading along with us this summer, you can purchase the book now. We'll talk more about the details of our book club in our next episode. So until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie, wishing you happy musicking. Music